welcome back to the Clips Nation podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant. Clippers are down 0-1 to the Utah Jazz in their second round series. And to talk about that, we have Sarah Todd from the Deseret News. Sarah, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, People are very happy in Utah right now. So (laughs) they're they're doing very good. That's what I'll say. Very good. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone here is particularly distraught yet. You know, a one is not that big of a deal when you've been in the situation that the Clippers have been in over the last two weeks, especially when the Jazz already have home court. So, yeah, I think everyone can feel okay about how that first game went. Yeah, I think that, you know, after the Jazz lost their first, their opening game to the Memphis Grizzlies in the first round, uh, not having Donovan in that game, then finding out Mike Conley wasn't going to play in this game one, I think that there was a little bit of, uh, recency fear that crept into people's brains. And so the fact that they were able to pull it out uh, was, a, was a nice sign, especially for Donovan and the way that he ended up being able to kind of recoup himself in the second half of that game. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because I think about last year's playoffs when it seemed like the Clippers were going to be playing the Jazz in the second round, and then obviously <laughs> that didn't end up happening. And the reason why I was particularly fascinated by that series is because Donovan just has historically done very well against the Clippers regular season games. I mean, they just seemingly have no way to stop him. And it's strange because he's the kind of guard that the Clippers tend to do well with generally speaking, because they can kind of overwhelm him with their size and, you know, they can just throw waves of bodies at him and they've got, you know, a good rim protector in Zubac to sort of handle things when he gets into the paint. And yet for whatever reason, Donovan just evades whatever type of defense that the Clippers throw at him. So I wouldn't say the game one was altogether surprising from what Mitchell was able to do, but uh, maybe not 32 points in the second half. I don't think I was expecting that. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, we didn't find out until after the game. I mean, he was sick in game five against the Grizzlies, and it it seems that he's still a little bit under the weather. And in the first half, I mean, he really beat himself up after the game, talking about how horribly he played in the first half. And I think that that's fair. It's, you know, when we talk to these guys after any game, regular season or playoffs, uh, a lot of the question is, you know, if if a team won or lost, it's like, was it what you did or was it what the other team did, mm-hmm. right? And I, I think that in any case, it's a, it's a mixture of the two. And so I think that Donovan's troubles in the first half were one in part that he was just making absolutely terrible reads. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he wasn't really trying on defense. And... Uh, the second part of that is, you know, when you're not trying and you've got guys like Reggie Jackson and Luke Kennard, who are, I, I think it's, it's not a hot take to say that when they gain confidence early, it's when they're at their best. Absolutely. And, and Donovan was part and partial to letting them gain that confidence early. And so that's what led to the, the Clippers, I think first half lead. Yeah. It's interesting because I thought that the first quarter, I'm not entirely sure, like the Clippers played well necessarily the jazz just missed every single shot right I think it was 19 in a row maybe even more than that it was 20 consecutive missed shots consecutive okay they went three of 17 from three (laughs) yeah I think it ended up being like 23s wasn't it because like Jordan hit a couple at the end uh right it sort of got the the score a little bit closer than you might have expected and then the second quarter I thought the Clippers actually played really well even though the lead didn't extend as much in that quarter as it did in the second the first quarter and then obviously like the third quarter just all fell apart and uh, I think a lot of that was the Clippers' legs, but we will see how much of that carries over in Game Two. My first question for you really is: Did anything in Game One like change your prior perception of how this series is going to go? 
I think that I was really surprised actually at, I mean, because I look at guys like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and the, the prowess and the abilities that they have on the offensive end. And I was very surprised at one that they didn't capitalize on the opportunity of the jazz missing so many shots. I mean, it was a, such a good opportunity for the Clippers to just stomp on the jazz's throat and build like a 25 point lead. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they didn't do that paired with how well the jazz were able to contain those two guys in the first half. I think they, they combined for 12 points in the first half Kawhi and PG that was surprising to me. And so, and I thought the same thing as you, that it, it might've been, partially because the Clippers didn't have their legs. I mean, they just finished a seven game series and then had to come in and play at altitude. Mm -hmm. That's not, that's not an easy task for anyone. And, you know, Kawhi is a kind of player where we've seen, he, he kind of has two modes. It's either he's laser laser focused and he's Terminator two, and he can't be stopped or he runs out of gas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you, you can kind of tell with Kawhi early, actually, I mean, I've sort of gotten the the sense of it over the course of the last two seasons of when he has it and when it's going to be just a little bit more of a challenging night. And it's funny because, you know, we, we had game seven on Sunday and the Mavericks actually were playing pretty well to start. And it was another one of those Luca's dealing first quarter leads. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking like, Oh, Dallas is in a a world of trouble because I just saw Kawhi run down the court on one fast break. Like, like there, you know, he was running a hundred meter dash and I'm like, okay, he has his legs. The Clippers are fine. Like we're, this is all going to be okay. And it was the exact opposite situation in game one, because he takes his first couple jumpers and they're just flat. Yeah. You know, he's like front rimming them and it's, it's really hard to overcome that for him. You know, you, like I said, you just have a really good feeling of whether he has it or he doesn't. And it's rare that he doesn't, right? Like he's just such a good player that most of the time he's going to have it, but come like with Kawhi not having it, they needed Paul George to step up and Paul George just continues his trend of uh, not quite performing against the Utah Jazz, to put it politely. (laughs) That's the polite way of saying it. I do want to clarify one thing. I saw it written a lot that like the fans were chanting playoff P. I heard push off P. Was it both? What I, in the arena, I heard push off P. Okay. Yeah. I heard push off P. Um, I think either one would be funny. I think push off P is definitely funnier. Uh, I thought the funnier one, cause they did push off P a, a couple of times, but later in the game, when he was at the free throw line, they were chanting overrated. Yes. Uh, and that was funnier to me. <laughs> I, I like a, I like a good fan chant. Yeah. The Utah has definitely gotten the better of Paul George since he has moved to the Western conference. And that was actually one of the things that I was most interested in heading into the series was just like this mental hurdle that the Clippers have to overcome because on paper, I think this is a pretty decent matchup for them. You know, yeah. like Rudy is an excellent defender, obviously defensive player of the year, protects the paint better than anybody in the league. The Clippers don't really like to go into the paint that much. You know, it's not their favorite way of playing offense. So there's ways for them to get around Rudy. And then obviously when they play small, they can pull him away from the rim and, you know, create magic that way. So I thought that this was, you know, a, a decent, decent matchup for them, relatively speaking. And just the problem is, is that if they win this series, they would go into the conference finals. And stopping if you've heard this before, the Clippers have never been to the conference finals. (laughs) So the very act of picking them to win this series is just a little tenuous because, you know, we're picking them to do something they've never done in their history. And I do wonder like how much that ends up just weighing on them. And then you combine that with Paul George, who had what, like a two of 14 shooting performance in game six against Utah a few years back, and then doubles down on that with four of 17 in game one. And I'm just curious. Did you see anything that like suggests to you that there might be some mental edge that Utah has in this series? 
it's weird because I think that I guess jazz fans and maybe even the jazz themselves think that they have a mental edge over Paul George, uh, especially Joe Ingles. And yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, but Joe didn't particularly play well. And so I found, I found it interesting that even with Joe not playing well, I mean, he wasn't as quick defensively and he's been in a really offensive slump for the last three games, at least. And it, it was interesting to me that even with that happening, that, PG couldn't really make it happen against the jazz. So there, there might be mental on his part. Um, and I, I agree with you too, that, I mean, I think this is a good matchup for both teams. I think in theory, it's like they both play very similarly. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the Clippers, when they're playing big rely on Zubach a lot, uh, in the paint, um, their, you know, best three pointing three-point shooting team by percentage. The Jazz rely on Rudy Gobert to defend the paint. They're the best three-point shooting team by volume. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's they're very similar in that, uh, but they're, I guess the, the dynamic that interests me the most is the small ball dynamic. And we talked about this before yeah. in the regular season, how interesting that would be. And I think that the, the way that the Jazz see it is if they're going to play small and pull Rudy out of the paint, um, on the other side, that leaves the paint wide open to be penetrated because there's not rim protection. Exactly. And, and we saw that in game one. Right. And I was looking at, you know, Mitchell's numbers when Zubach was on the court versus when he was off the court. And there's a, there's a distinct difference between when uh, there is actually rim protection and when you're relying on, you know, Marcus Morris to serve as the last line of defense, because, uh, you know, the, the Clippers had been playing Batum at center quite a bit in the first round of the playoffs. And, I think Batum was the one who just legitimately was not ready to go for this game because he only played about 20 minutes. And I, I don't even really remember him seeing, seeing him in the second half beyond that initial stretch when they played their starters to start the third quarter. So I was actually surprised that they didn't play him in yeah. the fourth quarter that it surprised me that they didn't try to bring him back in or bring in anyone other than Rondo because uh, you know, Kennard and Rondo were basically getting torched in that fourth quarter Yes, they were. Uh, <laughs> it was, that was, a conf- and then, you know, Ty Lue calls a timeout and I thought for sure that Rondo was out mm-hmm. at that point, they would maybe try to bring in Pat Bev and they just stuck with him, man. Yeah. There were some interesting rotational decisions to be just, yeah, put it mildly, yeah. you know, from Ty Lue's side. And I know that he said that his goal at the start of the game was to get a lot of players going in the first half, just to see who was ready to go. And for my mind, it seemed like the guys who were ready to go were, Patrick Beverly and, uh, you know, Luke Kennard obviously was one of them, but then Zubach and Terrence Mann also looked pretty good in that first half. And I talked about Terrence Mann before. I can't yeah. not see the Tyrese Maxey comparison now. Yeah. But, <laughs> uh, I just thought it was very strange that like after those guys had nice runs in the first half and like a lot of people have asked me about Boogie Cousins. I, I think he was fine in the first half. I completely understand why you don't want to play him at the end of the game. That does not yes. bother me one iota. Nope. Uh, he had some nice plays against Rudy. I don't think that's a sustainable defensive model going forward. No. <laughs> Patrick Beverly, I do think, is the type of guy who can get into Donovan Mitchell. And we saw that in the first half. Obviously, Pat misses all three of his shots, um, which maybe was the justification for not playing him in the second half. But I I don't really agree with that because he was still doing the drive and kick thing. And like, he got one yeah. of Luke Kennard's first shots. Like he assisted on one of those. I mean to say, uh, so I I'm with you. I think Patrick Beverly deserves a role in this series, uh, which is 
I didn't think that that was something I was going to have to defend coming into this because again, he was the starting point guard the entire season for the Clippers. And yeah, he couldn't defend Luca. Nobody can defend Luca. This guy's a lot yeah. smaller than Luca, thankfully for Patrick Beverly. <laughs> so uh, I do think that that's something we're going to see going forward is more Pat. I don't imagine he's going to start just because Reggie has taken the stronghold of that position. Um, but yeah, it was very weird to just watch the Clippers be okay with Donovan getting by Luke Kennard every single time or getting by Rondo every single time and not do anything to stop it. Like Rondo played, uh, I think nine minutes in the fourth quarter. Luke played the entire fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we were not very far removed from Luke, not being able to get on the floor defensively in the regular season. And somehow right. it's become a, a thing that, Oh, he's good enough to play against the Utah jazz in the second round of the playoffs. Yeah. And like, I mean, I don't think this is anything, but I'm sure Donovan remembers that Luke Kennard was drafted ahead of him in 2017. Like he has to know that, right? hundred <laughs> percent. He knows the names of all 12 of them that were, ahead yeah. of him. <laughs> you know, and then the rotations are really interesting to me for the Clippers because it, in thinking about who is going to be able to maybe slow down Donovan a little bit, I think Pat Bev really has to be the answer because mm-hmm. if it's not him, then I feel like you have to try to switch Kawhi onto Donovan as much as you can. But if you've got, Kawhi working on the defensive end that hard throughout the game, then you worry that Kawhi is going to lose his legs on the offensive end. Exactly. And so I, I really do think that Pat Bev has to be the answer. And if, if that doesn't work out, then, then I'm concerned for the Clippers. Yeah. And I do wonder if Paul George has any use in that matchup. Um, I know that that was something that Oklahoma city tried three mm-hmm. years ago. And I, I don't want to go too much back into a series that happened three years ago, but it, it's kind of instructive, right? Like there's a lot of the same players right? on Utah and uh, it it didn't go very well for Paul George in that series, It did uh, not. <laughs> but he was, I don't know. He was like the point of attack defender on Jamal Murray last year. And I realized they're very different players, but I think that's something that the Clippers should try more instead of Kawhi, because like you said, his, he tends to wear himself out on the defensive end. If he has to have both of those responsibilities. Yeah. So if, if Tyloo is unwilling to go to Patrick Beverly, which again, I, I don't think is going to be the case. I, Lou is obviously a little bit slower to adjust than I would have liked in the first round, but he did adjust. So I think right. it's going to happen in this series. Uh, then I, I would think Paul George would get that assignment before Kawhi, but yeah, I just, I worry about Paul in this matchup from like a between the years perspective. I really do. And I shouldn't because he had a wonderful regular season. And sometimes I think that stuff is a little overblown, but on the other hand, like an entire arena is chanting, like push off P at you. Like that's, that's t- tough. I think it's tough. <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, it's definitely tough and there you can only tune so much out, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't think that any of these guys, I mean, especially, you know, we're, we're in the generation where it's very rare to have a guy delete Twitter and Instagram off their phones and mm-hmm. to have, you know, you can't block out what's happening in the arena either. They hear stuff, they read everything too. And so he knows what it looks like. Um, I just, I don't like to see players fail, you know, like mm-hmm. I cover the jazz. I'm not a jazz fan. I'm not, you know, a fan of any one particular team. And I, I would like to see this be a competitive series and to have Paul George come out and have a really good game would make for a much more interesting series. Absolutely. Um, I do think that it's probably more likely that Kawhi has a really good game before Paul does um, yes. just because of his, you know, I mean, like George, I think was, was quite good in the first round, but he also just plateaued between 20 and 29 points every game. And that's a perfectly fine output for your second star, but he's never going to just pop off the way Kawhi does, you know, for 45 in a game six, that's just not who he is right now. And it's probably unfair to put that level of expectation on him. But I did think that he responded quite nicely in the second half of yesterday's game. You know, he had 13 points in the fourth quarter. 
He right. was going at favors, you know, when Gobert was out of the lineup, when they were playing small and, you know, Gobert was stuck in the corner on whether it was Marcus or Kawhi, like he was getting to the paint that way. He did actually hit a couple threes. I mean, I th- think he finished three of eight from three, which felt a lot worse in the moment. And then I looked at the box score and I was like, yeah, that's okay. That's you know? okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was some uh, hot potato, let's say, on the final possession where I think he could have yeah. gotten a shot up and he didn't. And Kawhi also didn't. And it put Marcus in a unenviable position of having Rudy Gobert just staring at him while he was trying to get a quarter three up. And I know. Yeah. And- for. I mean, for all the jokes we make about Rudy, you know, not being able to guard on the perimeter, like this is a pretty straightforward situation. The guy is going to take a three and he just has to stand in front of him and block the three. And that's what he did. <laughs> exactly. And I think that that should have been Paul's shot. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure why, why he didn't want that shot. Um, yeah. I, I really don't know what happened there. Uh, and like, obviously the Clippers didn't call timeout. They had one left over. I, I don't, I don't mind the decision to go no timeout at all. Or obviously like you prevent the jazz from talking over what they want to do on defense. You prevent them from thinking about whether they want to foul or not. Uh, I obviously in transition is better. I do think that there was a moment with like six seconds left where Kawhi is like not shooting and Paul has already given the ball up. And it's like, maybe this is the point where we call timeout. <laughs> maybe yeah. we need to get these guys like, you know, on the same page and like one of you has to take the shot here. <laughs> yeah. That's really funny. It's like, uh, what's that what's that movie with will ferrell like semi-pro uh, yeah it felt it felt like a very semi-pro mo- moment <laughs> no you do it no you do it it kind of reminded me of a, a game they played in the bubble last year when they played the lakers i think it was the first game of the restart or like the second game of the restart because obviously mm. utah was the first game of the restart um where they were down by two on the final possession and Kawhi like has an opportunity to shoot and like at the very last second passes it over to pg and it's just like we're putting you guys in a position to fail here. Like nothing is going to happen. Um, yeah. And like, it was on that left wing of the court too. So it felt very reminiscent, but yeah, again, like no- nothing in that game really made me think that the Clippers can't match up with Utah on a basketball perspective, but I did leave it thinking like, Oh, I wonder if Mitchell is just more prepared for this moment than the Clippers are. Right. I'm, um- and it's such a hard thing to analyze, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I've been I've been talking about that a lot recently because there has been an attitude shift with Mitchell this season, um, or a maturity shift, and the way that he's playing is a lot more deliberate. He's slowed down a lot. He doesn't make as many bad decisions in the paint as he used to. Uh, he's more critical of himself. He's passing the ball more, and so it really does seem like he's taken a next step and he's been so focused all season on getting to this point that I really do think he's absolutely ready for this moment. And it's such a tough test though, because it's like, you might be ready, but again, you're going up against Kawhi. Yeah. <laughs> like he's a guy that's ready too. Yeah. And that I, I love this series. Uh, the, the intensity in the arena was great. Um, it's good basketball to watch. I, I like I like watching good basketball. (laughs) It it was really fun to watch, you know? I mean, other than the fact that like, I would prefer teams not to miss 20 shots in a row, but still like the, the intensity level was definitely there. And every time they took a shot and Ian Eagle, you know, because I was watching on television was just like, uh, and it's long. I've said that quite a bit in this first quarter. (laughs) Like, yeah, uh, it was, it was riveting theater, honestly. And the fact that the Clippers, you know, got it to the point where, you know, there were definitely moments in that fourth quarter where I thought, oh, it's 103 to 93. Like this might just be it. And they come all the way back and 
you know, have themselves in position to potentially tie the game. Like, I think that reflects well on the Clippers. I'm just like, so we talked a little bit about the rotations, right? Where it was Mm -hmm. a little weird what the Clippers were doing. And I do think that that's going to be ironed out a little bit in game two. Do you think that it makes sense for the Clippers? I, I, I don't know why I'm asking you for the Clippers suggestions, but uh, do you think it makes sense for the Clippers to keep starting small or would you give Zubac a bigger role? I think they have to keep start, starting small. Mm-hmm. I think that, uh, you know, starting, starting Zubac doesn't give them the same switchability on that pick and roll. It makes it easier for the Jazz to attack. And mm-hmm. if, if that's the case, then, then you're just kind of allowing either Donovan or Mike, if he comes back or Joe Ingles to really get going early in the game. I think that small lineup creates a point of attack. That's more difficult for the jazz. And I think that's why we saw them shooting so much in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. Of course, if they, if they generate that many open shots, again, it's hard for me to imagine that they're going to shoot 18% in the first quarter again. Right. And so, you know, either way there are weapons, but that's why, you know, this is a good series because it's two good teams and it's really going to be, you know, it's going to be either a shootout or kind of who grinds it out on the defensive end because they both also have defensively good players. Um, of course. Yeah. And I just think that Rudy would end up dominating that matchup with Zubak. So I think they have to go small. Yeah. I did like the idea of getting zoo in right when Derek favors came in, because that's a much more winnable matchup for Zubac than, you know, starting off against Rudy. Right. Uh, so I thought that made a lot of sense just to like get him going then. And then once Rudy comes in, he already has his rhythm going a little bit. So it's just easier to handle that, you know, so to speak. But even in the first quarter, like when Utah was taking all those threes, it seemed like a lot of them were off the dribble, right? Like it wasn't their beautiful, you know, get the Clippers in rotation and swing, swing and find an open three kind of offense. It was okay. Well, Donovan has brought the ball up or Clarkson has brought the ball up and someone just has to take the shot. So even though like you obviously never want to give up 18 threes or whatever it was in the one quarter, like I didn't feel like the Clippers had made any mistakes defensively or yeah. not too many, you know? Well, and I mean, the jazz, the jazz are good shooting off the dribble too. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, uh, um, the lesser of two evils I'll say, <laughs> yeah, you know, faking on a back screen and doing like a sidestep dribble into a mm-hmm. shot. That's something that they do a lot. Uh, it was surprising that they missed so many of them. One of the things that I I'm thinking when you mentioned the rotations and I, would love your perspective on it is it it seems very strange to me because there's always like the cliches in basketball that rotations shrink when you get to the postseason and to have Ty Lu like not have the rotation ironed out and to be like we're just gonna throw everyone in and see who plays well is really shocking to me yeah uh it was it was kind of strange to me too to see Demarcus Cousins thrown out in the first half of this game and didn't even play in last series. No, not even in garbage time. And there was there was not very much of it, but there was some. Like Daniel Oturu got on the court in the first round, and Demarcus Cousins did not. So yeah, that was, and it worked somehow. Like just threw spaghetti against the wall, and it stuck, and then never went back to it because we realized that it was probably a lucky shot. But I think I don't think it's so much that Tyloo doesn't have his rotation figured out. I think a lot of it was just we don't know who's going to have their wind today. Right. Okay. Right. Like I think they probably would have liked to play Batum down the end of the game. And I really don't think that he was available because this is a guy like, you know, who was in Charlotte last season and just not even playing for the last four months because they're going into their youth movement. And then he comes to the Clippers and all of a sudden he's a starter and he's starting half the season. And 
he's playing 40 minutes a night down like the last five games against Dallas and doing some just incredible lifting, you know, in terms of like having to be the guy that's fronting on Boban while also having to switch on to Luca. So to me, that was just a, oh, Nick has tired game. And now we have to fill in these 20 minutes somehow. I mean, that'd be concerning for me too. I mean, if I'm a Clippers fan, I'm thinking like, really? After the first round? Like that's when you've lost it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not an ideal position being obviously like, no, uh, but I don't know how much you can expect that of Batum, like 30 minutes a night seems fair, but he was going, he was blowing past that number against Dallas. And right. that's, you know, to me, if Batum is not ready to go, that small lineup loses a lot of its potency because like, now you don't exactly have a big, small lineup. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like it's just, it's Kawhi and PG at the three and four, which is fine, but it's not the same level of you know, imposing presence on the wing that you want, because now you've got Kennard or Rondo or Reggie Jackson as, you know, one of the guys up front. And I do think Reggie Jackson's foul trouble was like an understated part of this game, because if he's, you know, in the game down the stretch, not to say that like Mitchell couldn't have just blown by him again and again, but he does present some physical tools that Luke Kennard does not have. Like that seven, one wingspan matters. It's not whatever Luke Kennard is working with. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the canard. I mean, I'm do not be surprised when the Jazz continue to hunt that matchup. Yeah, <laughs> and it's so weird because like the Clippers have sort of made a philosophy out of not putting any defensive weaklings in their lineup. Like they excise Zubac, who is a good defensive player, just because he couldn't hang against Doncic, and then they were just inviting Donovan Mitchell to hunt him over and over again, and that was very weird, just yeah. incredibly weird to me. And I it's one of those things where like you wonder if the first half like almost worked against the Clippers. Like it worked because Kennard was so good then when, you know, Mitchell, as you said, was just making mistakes left and right and letting Kennard score on him and Reggie Jackson score on him that it sort of confused the Clippers into thinking, okay, this guy can hang when I think like three minutes of the fourth quarter would have been enough information to be like, no, no, he cannot. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that you'd mentioned on Twitter uh, during game one that really stuck out to me was basically no one remembering that Luke Kennard likes to go left. <laughs> and I thought, and then also that Jordan Clarkson like forgot that Zubak was maybe like a tall guy, apparently. Or my I think teammates. The, yeah. Like, I don't know where, where the jazz got off on like making those kinds of mistakes because both of them seem incredibly simple and avoidable. And it's like, that's the kind of stuff that, I mean, Zubak is tall is not in the scouting report, but it's kind of implied. (laughs) Um, But Luke goes left and, you know, that's not his offhand. That's a, that's something that should be known. That shouldn't have been something that should have been so hard for them to get their mind around. Uh, and from the Clippers side of that, I would worry that after game one, they do not make those mistakes again. Yeah, that's that's interesting because, you know, I thought the Clippers, I'm not so sure they made like game plan mistakes, but they just weren't as dialed in as they needed to be in this game. Yeah, they weren't of, as aggressive. Exactly. They weren't as aggressive. And, you know, like it was different in the Dallas series where I thought they were like legitimately making mistakes. Like they were sending to Luka when they were supposed to stay home on their shooters or you know, like the rotations were wrong. And it, I wasn't seeing that as much in this game. They were just a step slow. And like that results in getting called for a foul or, you know, when they're setting their screens, they're just like not making any contact and then no advantage is created. So I, I think the things that the Clippers have to clean up aren't so much 
like details. It's just effort. go to sleep, right? go get to some sleep, sleep. <laughs> get some sleep, come back on Thursday. I think that that's what the Jazz are thinking too. I don't think that they expect for the Clippers to come in and like play as flat as they did in the first game. I think mm-hmm. that they really know that 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 definitely wasn't the Clippers' best punch, and that they're probably going to get something closer to that on Thursday. Yeah, and it's funny because I spent a lot of time before the series talking about like rest versus rust, and um, the Clippers did not have either of those advantages. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which which was why it was so disappointing from the Clippers side of it because, as I said before, the Jazz came in rusty; they mm-hmm. couldn't buy a basket. Exactly, and the fact that the Clippers couldn't capitalize on that was disappointing. Yeah, absolutely, and you know, it's, it kind of sounds like a very woe is me situation from the Clippers right now, but if they end up winning game two, then like all is forgiven and they've done exactly what they came into Utah to do. And I don't think you or I would be surprised in the slightest if the Clippers came out and put their stamp on this game early and, you know, either one close or going away. Uh, but I'm just curious, like other, other than those, you know, game plan details you talked about with Utah, is there anything schematically you saw that was weird to you from the Jazz's perspective? It, it is weird for them to try to figure out how to work without Mike Conley. And I think that that's what we saw a lot in the first half. You know, I don't think that the jazz played bad in the first half. I think that they generated good shots. Um, Some of them were a little bit rushed. Like you said, they played well on defense. Absolutely. Outside of Mitchell, Mm -hmm. but without Conley, the ball sticks a little bit. And so it's going to be interesting. We still don't know whether Conley's going to be going in game two, but if he doesn't, they, they're going to have to figure out a way to sort of initiate the offense and get the ball moving. Because if not, I mean, you can't, you're not going to play ISO ball against the Clippers. That's not no, going to work. <laughs> I mean, it's not like I'm, playing against the Nets, but it's not great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, it's, that's not good in the playoffs in general. It's definitely not good when you've got the defenders that the Clippers have. And, and the, they were trying to do that a little bit in the first half, they got better attack the pick and roll a little bit more in the second half, but it, again, this is the Clippers. This is the Western conference semifinals. Like you can't spend an entire half of basketball trying to figure out how your offense is going to run. You have to know that beforehand. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I did think like, so Conley missed some time during the regular season too, right? Right. Yeah. He missed- so Mr. He wasn't playing on back-to-backs throughout most of the season. He only played on like one or two back-to-backs, if I remember correctly, just to like nurse the fact that he never had like a full hamstring pull. It was just like a little bit sore and they wanted to just keep that at bay. They were really conservative with him. And then he pulled it a little bit near the end of the season. He missed nine games in a row before the final two games of the season and then pulled it again in game five against the Grizzlies. And so that's what we're dealing with right now is the right hamstring that has been nagging for a while. And now it's just more sore than it was. Gotcha. Yeah. The hamstring tears are just the worst. I mean, it's, yeah, it just, they're so fickle too. They're, they're fickle to treat and they're, there's no way of knowing when they're going to reappear or what is it that makes them reappear. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously you'd rather have Conley, especially, I mean, I don't even know which side of the ball he's actually more impactful on because defensively he's he's really good right but I do wonder like if against the Clippers the the bigger lineup appeals to me a little bit from Utah just because Conley and Mitchell can get a little small in that backcourt especially when the Clippers go with like their power wing lineup so I I didn't think it was like supremely harmful defensively to have Ingles on Paul George to start 
um, especially because like you said, Ingles just has a way of getting to Paul George that yeah, I mean, it would actually one of these be, days we'll figure out. <laughs> yeah, it would actually be interesting to see, you know, depending on how the series goes. I mean, if it is tied one and Conley comes back, how Quinn decides to use Ingles and Conley, if maybe there's a switch in the starting lineup so you can keep Ingles on Paul George, or if they are okay with going with that that smaller backcourt. Yeah, I mean, obviously you, you want Conley in there, you know, if there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that, but like you said, there's, there's something to be said about having a little bit more size on that Clippers backcourt to start. And it was interesting. Like the Clippers were definitely not in their rhythm like they could be. And I don't expect that to continue throughout the course of the series, but coming into the series, despite the fact that like, you know, these are very high volume three-point shooting teams, like you said, Utah won in the league in volume, Clippers won in the league in percentage. I did think this was going to be a defensive series just because that's kind of how the regular season games went, right? Like I think the first one was like 106 to hundred. I don't count the second one in LA because like nobody was playing. Exactly. Um, But the last one was also a very defensive game. It was like 112, 108 at the end of it. So. Plus I don't think that either team wants to let it become a shootout. Yeah. Right. Um, Which is strange because you think they would hang fine in a shootout. It's just their preferences seem to dictate that they'd rather make this a defensive series. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I guess the only thing left to do is uh, give some predictions for game two. <laughs> yeah, I think the, I think that this one is going to the Clippers. Okay. I, think that, I think that, I think it's still going to be tight. I think this one is going to come down to the wires, but I think that the Clippers take game two. Uh, what do you think is going to be the reason that the Clippers take game two? Kawhi is going to be rested. Yeah. <laughs> I think that he, I think he's just going to have his legs underneath them. I, coming off that game seven was rough. And uh, like I said before, he's either a guy that kills you or he loses gas. Mm -hmm. And I I think that he's the kind of guy also who is very cognizant of how he's feeling. And so coming out of that game one, he's probably like, I didn't, I didn't have my legs underneath me and he's probably going to be well-rested and rejuvenated and ready. Yeah. I mean, I thought the Clippers were actually going to win game one. Uh, And then especially when, you know, Utah seemed so out of sorts in the first half. I thought like, oh, this mm. is a good sign. You know, like the rust thing is actually coming into play. And then like the first two minutes of the third quarter just completely disabused me of that notion. <laughs> it was like, oh, so this is how tonight is going to go. Right. Uh, but I would be surprised if the Clippers left Utah without a split um, just because these teams are so evenly matched. Like it's yeah. hard for me well, to that's see. The, that's the thing too. Yeah. is like a prediction is right, right. so hard in this series because they are so evenly matched that, I mean, I predict that just based on what I think about Kawhi, but mm-hmm. a, a jazz win wouldn't surprise me. A jazz blowout exactly. wouldn't surprise me. A Clippers blowout wouldn't surprise me. Them fighting into overtime wouldn't surprise me. Nothing would at this point. Uh, the overtime would surprise me because the Clippers have yet to play an overtime game this season. Um, so close in game one. But... <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Very close. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's far more interesting to just think about what trends are actually going to continue in game two. Although I'm the light that you gave me prediction anyway. Um, I do think it's probably safe to assume that Kawhi is going to play better. I think we're going to see a lot more Patrick Beverly. And right. I expect to see more Reggie Jackson, which I think was the plan anyway. But uh, against you know my best predictions, I did not see Reggie being this impactful in the playoffs. And he's been really good. Like the third score that the Clippers expected Marcus Morris to be, and he has not been. Um, this just seems like a better Reggie series to me than a Marcus series because – I do think that like once the Clippers sort out their tiny guard issues, Marcus is going to be the guy that Donovan Mitchell hunts just because he's not quite quick enough 
to handle yeah, him. Exactly. Like that size was super useful against Doncic. Super useful. It's just not as important against a guy like Donovan Mitchell. So I, I think that's where I would expect the Clippers to improve is just a lot more Reggie and Kawhi offense. And, you know, maybe the, the Jazz just make more threes and it's still super close to like, yeah. end up with. Uh, but yeah, that's that's sort of what I see happening. I I'm with you. I think the Clippers are going to stay starting small, but I wouldn't be surprised to see you watch get more minutes just like as a reserve. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, it's just super fun to talk about two teams who seem to marry each other so well and we can't seem to find a sliver of disagreement tomorrow. <laughs> I know <laughs> we were, ho- we were hoping for this. Yeah. This is what yeah. We were hoping for last year and we finally got it. Exactly. I mean, when they had those two games back in LA, you know, that back to back, it just, it seemed like this would be a good playoff matchup. And so far it has not disappointed. So yeah, if you're listening to this podcast, make sure you're following Sarah's coverage of Utah because there's really no better way of figuring out what's going on with the jazz. Uh, She's at Deseret news and your Twitter is Sarah Todd NBA. It's at NBA Sarah. Sorry at NBA Sarah. My bad. I knew there was an NBA in there. Follow me on all the socials at NBA Sarah and also listen to my podcast unsalvageable. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time, Sarah. And Yeah, I'm really excited for game two. Yeah, let's go.